0: Man, do we have a good worship team or what? My Lord. These guys are amazing. Um, I want to let you know a couple quick things that are going on, and then we're going to dive right into our uh, second part of our, of our series. Uh, number one is if you received, a, you should have received a little connection card when you came in, in your little uh, sermon notes, in your, in your bulletin. Um, If you are new to the church and you want to learn more about us or you have a prayer request or you want to volunteer or get involved in something or you have something to communicate to us in any way, um, please just write that on your connection card. And then right at the end of service, there are four little stations, four little tables. And we'll give you an opportunity to put that in one of those baskets on one of those tables. And here's what will not happen. okay? guaranteed. You will not get spam emails. No one will come to your house. Uh, No one will send a drone over your house to check you out. Um, You'll just get an email from one of our team members saying, hey, you know, um, how can we help? What, you know, what can we do for you? So um, people get nervous about putting their emails in uh, in boxes. So but if you want to connect with us, go ahead and fill that out and we'll drop it in um, at the end of service. Second thing I want to tell you about is Thursday night. You guys, this Thursday, um, we're doing the wrap and pack. Now, the Wrap and Pack is an event where we're getting together at Operation Food Search right up here on Olive, and Roccinelli's Pizza is giving us free pizza to eat. Okay, we got some amens on free pizza. That's cool. <laughs> good. That's good. All right. Um, free pizza. There's going to be music playing, uh, and we're going to be sorting and, and packing boxes of food for um, hungry people in our community we're going to be offering our volunteer service to operation food search so it's going to be like a party with a purpose Um, so if you have not signed up for that or you haven't gotten involved in that yet let us know you're coming Um, just mark it on your connection card so pull out your little connection card and say wrap and pack i'm in Um, or something like that and then um, we'll see you on thursday night we just kind of want to get a head count Um, So that's going to be, that's going to be a really cool opportunity. Then today, you guys, right after service, if you have not gotten involved on our dream team yet, our dream team is amazing. And I want to invite every single one of you to get involved. You actually don't even have to be a member of our church to get on our dream team, to find a place to serve, a place to, to, to reach out and be a part to help. Um, and to meet other people and, and, and to serve the community. Um, so I invite you to come across the street to Three Kings right after service. There's a restaurant across the street called Three Kings. We have our growth track over there every Sunday. Um, and today is 401. There's food and there's child care. So come over. Um, I, we almost got a clap on child care. Man, it's just, you never know. Um, <laughs> um, so 401 is today right after service. Um, and I uh, invite you to come to that if you haven't come. All right, so we're going to dive right into the second part of our, uh, of our series, but let me pray for us, and then we'll jump right in, okay? Heavenly Father, right now we come before you with open hearts, and we uh, open our minds to hear your word. Father, we come with expectation. We come with our hopes. We come with our fears. We come with the challenges that we've brought with us from the week, and God, we just turn it all over to you, and for the next just few minutes, Uh, We open our hearts to listen to your word and open our hearts to hear what your spirit may speak to us through your word. Uh, Father, we do this all to the glory and all to the honor of Jesus. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're in this series called Who is My Neighbor? Um, This is part two of this series where we're examining what the Christian life looks like. Not just in the four walls of the congregation, but outside, out on the street, in the marketplace, in the school, at the workforce, everywhere around us. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? So a few years ago, there was this coffee shop in Manhattan called Rise Coffee Shop. And Rise Coffee Shop, the baristas at Rise Coffee Shop, wanted to make more tips. So they had their little tip jar out there. And, you know, you could tip the, tip the, the barista. But they said, you know, we got to figure out a creative way to get more tips. So what they did was they, instead of putting one tip jar out, they started putting two tip jars out. Uh, And then on each tip jar, they would put a different, like the name of a celebrity or the name of a band or the name of, you know, um, some some idea. And then they would have sort of the opposing band or celebrity or idea on the other tip jar. So they called these dueling tip jars. And what they were trying to do is incentivize people to make a choice. Either I'm going to support this band you know, or this idea or this TV show, or that one, right, so they thought, well, maybe this will prompt people to give more so this idea caught on uh, all around the country and, and 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 because it started working, people were like wow we 're making more tips by doing this, um, and so all around the country, people started coming up with these creative ideas about you know this idea versus that idea, two seemingly opposing ideas. One versus the other, and then people got to choose, right? So, for instance, there was one uh, that I found this week called Seinfeld versus Friends, and you could put your tip in either the Seinfeld or the Friends, and, and it says the new tip battle, right? So you got to choose one or the other; you can't choose both, just one or the other. Um, another one that they had I liked was Tupac versus Biggie. Which one are you? Who who you know? Who are you gonna who are you gonna rep? Um, it looked like Tupac's doing a lot better, actually, um, in that one. So. Um, And then another one they had was the moonwalk versus the river dance. And I'm just like, come on. Seriously, river dance doesn't have a chance against the moonwalk. Um, So that's, that's how people took this, right? Because what they found is that people gave more tips because people actually, we like this idea of making a binary choice. We like the idea of the simple choice of saying it's either this or it's that. We like that. We like having either or options, right? Where we can say this or that. Because when we do that, there's no subtlety. There's no nuance required. There's no work. You get to just choose. It's this or that. And sometimes that's a good thing, right? There are some times in life where a binary choice is the right choice to make. You have to reject one thing to accept the other, all right? So if you're standing at the aisle... On your, on your wedding day at the altar, and the preacher says, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Well, that's a binary choice that you have to make. Okay? There's no both and. This is an either or kind of issue. So you either say, yes, I do, or you better be pretty fleet-footed, son, and get out of that church as fast as you can. Right? Because that's a binary choice that you have to make. If you're a computer person, right, you're either a Mac person or you're a PC person. You can't be both. You just got to make a choice. If you're an animal lover, right, you're either a dog lover or a devil worshiper. Right, exactly. So, (laughs) so, correct. So, um, (laughs) so sometimes, sometimes you have to make these choices. All right. But then sometimes in life you think you have to make a binary choice. You act like you have to make a binary choice or you believe you have to make a choice between two things that are opposing things, but they're actually not opposing things. And so it's a, it's a mistake to make a binary choice between two things that are not opposing each other, two things that are not mutually exclusive, okay? And and this this you know we hear this all the time. This is called the either or fallacy. Okay. This is a, there's a term in logic called the either or fallacy. When you say, well, it's either this or it's that. Well, sometimes it's not either or. So somebody may say to you, well, either you're a rational person or you're a person of faith, but you can't be both. And that's not true. You can be a rational person who is also a person of faith. Somebody may say you're, well, you're either a Bible person or you're a science person. Well, that's not true, right? You can be a Bible person and a science person. These things, if you understand both rightly, can be harmonized and understood correctly, right? So somebody asked me this week, are you going to, you know, are you rooting for the Kansas City Royals? Are you going to root for the New York Mets at the World Series? That's not a binary. I'm going to choose to not watch the World Series at all, okay? (laughs) I would rather watch reruns of Dancing with the Stars than watch those two teams. So... (laughs) So we don't always have to choose between this and that, right? That's an either-or fallacy. Now, in the church, for about the last 100 years, the church, and I'm talking about the church universal, has made a binary choice, an either-or choice, based upon an either-or fallacy. They have made a choice beginning in about the 1900s or early 1920s, between two different ideas about what it means to walk out your faith, what it means to live out your faith as a Christian, and what the the choices that the church made in about the 1920s roughly called, and different people call it different things, but it can be called the liberal conservative or the modernist fundamentalist church controversy. And this arose really in the 1920s. I'm going to give you a little bit of church history, okay? In the 1920s, different... Pastors started saying, you know, they started taking opposing sides about what it means to be a Christian, and here were the either or that they that they started to grab onto. The modernists or the liberal branch started saying, you know what, the you know faith in the resurrection of Jesus not really important. Um, doctrine, sound doctrine, and the teachings of the Scripture and the authority of Scripture that's not really that you know important. Um, personal piety, personal morality, that stuff is not really really that important what's really important is that we serve uh, people that we give to the poor um, and that we stand up for the oppressed but they presented it as an either or like you don't really need to do this you need to do this and then the then the fundamentalists or the conservatives took the other approach they said no the authority of scripture is paramount right to to who we are and what we're doing belief in Jesus is absolutely vital to what we're doing right? And personal morality, that's, that's hugely important. But really, you know, serving the poor, uh, you know, giving to the needy, uh, standing up for the, the oppressed, that's really not that, not that important. That's not a part of what, you know, our, our, our faith is all about. And so these two groups sort of split off into these very separate, uh, you know, opposing polarized positions, and they have never come back together, They still maintain these two very diverse positions. Um, And this is not the first time that the church has done this. In fact, this has happened throughout history. Last week, we talked about the time that the lawyer came, the religious scholar came and spoke with Jesus and wanted to find out from him. What's the most important thing, Jesus? What's the most important commandment, right? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What's the one thing that I need to do? And Jesus said, well, you're a religious scholar. You're a a lawyer. You tell me. And this is what the lawyer said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a two-part commandment. Love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right. Right answer. Bing, check the box. But The lawyer wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, what's implied in that question is the lawyer is saying, I've got the first part dialed in. My theology is sound. My beliefs are correct. My religious practice is right and good. But I'm not so excited about the serving the poor and the giving to those in need and the standing up for the oppressed and, and the marginalized. I'm not so keen on that. I'd like to narrow the definition of neighbor to the extent that I don't really have to do things that stretch my, me out of my comfort zone, that stretch my ability, that make me interact with people that I just wouldn't really like to be around, right? So this has happened throughout history. In other words, Jesus, th- this lawyer was treating Jesus as if Jesus... Jesus' commandment were two tip jars that you could either love God or you could love your neighbor. And if you do either one of those, but that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say love God or love your neighbor. He said love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So this distinction, this, this, this either or fallacy that has plagued the church Really, from from the time of Jesus till today at, at different times and different eras. That's something that Jesus, I believe, is calling us to fix, to amend, to heal, to bring it together where we are a people who love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. We we, we follow the scripture. We follow Jesus with all of our heart. We believe in him. We entrust him with all, everything. His the risen savior is our is our is our salvation and our Lord. And we serve our neighbor, and we reach out beyond the walls of the church, and we help and serve and build hope and health and healing in the community. I believe Jesus is calling us to both of these things. All right, now there are a few different ways that this has played out over time in the church, and the first, and I'm going to give you three different examples. The first one is in the in the area of faith and works. So there's just a big question, you know, in churches about. Faith and works, and sometimes these things are put in in opposition to one another, right? Faith versus works. There are some people that would say, you know, uh, well, well. In fact, the most one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith is that we are saved by grace through faith, right? And and that is that is a fundamental pillar of the Christian faith. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to get ourselves in the right relationship with God. God. Through his sacrifice, Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his grace, extended mercy to us. And by putting our faith in him, we have right relationship with the father. So that's that is a fundamental pillar of the faith. Right. What happens with that fundamental pillar and what happened in the early church is people went, wow. So that means that after I put my faith in Jesus, my actions no longer matter. So like. Man, I put my faith in the Lord Jesus, so now I'm, just, I'm at liberty to do whatever crazy, wild, decadent thing comes to mind. I don't need to serve. I don't need to live right. I don't need, to, you know, because I have got faith. And then, of course, in the early church, Paul was always battling the other guys because the other guys were saying, faith shmate, man. You've got to do this. you got to line up this. you got to do this right. And do... So you get these two opposing views, and that is not what the Scripture teaches, because these are not opposing ideas; these are these ideas are inextricably linked to one another. Okay, so let me give you an exact an analogy of how God is calling us to both invisible faith, and then, and then, visible works. Okay, here's how it works. Let's all pretend for just a moment. Some of you don't have to pretend, and some of you do. Uh, that that you are in a romantic relationship right now. Okay. Let's just pretend that we're all in a romantic relationship. People are canoodling right now. Um, um, So, okay. What if you're in this relationship, you're in this relationship, and the person with whom you're in the relationship, in, with, who, uh, you're in this relationship with this person. Never end a sentence with a preposition. Um, So you're in this relationship with this person. And what if this person, person... stops doing the little things that he or she used to do that kind of demonstrated their love for you, right? So maybe they used to, you know, get you a cup of coffee on the way home from work, or they used to bring you flowers every once in a while or make you a sandwich every once in a while. They stopped, And they just kind of stopped doing those things, right? And then they also kind of stopped communicating how they feel about you. So they used to say, hey, I love you. They used to blow you up with a little text that said, oh, you're such a sweetie, you know, smiley face and all that. And they kind of stopped doing that, right? And then they, they used to, you know, maybe they used to be a little bit more affectionate. They used to put their arm around you and touch you and give you a hug and give you a kiss. And, and then they just kind of stopped doing that, right? And maybe they used to buy little things for you and then they stopped doing that. So all the little things that they used to do, maybe they used to sit down and just spend time with you and you really enjoyed that. And then they kind of stopped doing that. They didn't really want to hang out with you anymore, you know. And if, if that happened to you, at some point you're going to go, hey, um, you know, do you still love me because it doesn't seem like you do through your actions, right? What if then that person turned to you and said, oh, actions are, are not important. I, I feel love for you. So done. Like I don't need to do anything else, right? We're good. How would that go over? <laughs> um, what you would say is I'm beginning to not believe that you have the feeling because I'm not seeing any of the of the works, of the displays that traditionally would follow that feeling that you claim to have, right? That is how the Bible describes the relationship between faith and works. These are not opposing ideas. These are inextricably linked ideas. One follows the other. In fact, Jesus' brother, James was so adamant about this idea that he wrote a letter to all the Christians that were interspersed all around the world. And this is what he said to them. He said, what does it profit, my brethren, if he says he has faith? So just like somebody says, hey, I love you, right? What does it profit if he says he has faith, but he does not have works? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed, be filled, but you do not give the things to them which are needed for the body, what does that profit them? He said, thus also, by itself, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. What he's saying here is faith versus works. This is not an either or controversy. This should not be an either or controversy in your mind. We are saved by grace through faith and Jesus. And as a result of our faith, we do things that exhibit our love for God in the way that we treat other people, in the way that we live out our lives. One follows the other. This is not an either or. This is not a put your money in the faith tip jar or the works tip jar. This is a both and. So let me let me ask you just to just, to you know, meditate on this. Which of which of the which side of the fallacy do you tend to fall on? Are you more of a faith person or are you more of a works person? Are you more of a person that says it's all about doing, but you haven't really opened up your heart to the possibility that Jesus is, you know, your Lord and Savior? Or are you more of a, you know, faith person that says, hey, I believe I'm so I'm just going to just do whatever I want. I'm not going to even worry about it because I'm I'm belie- I'm a believer. Right. Let me just put that out there. The the second area uh, where we find this dilemma over and over throughout the church, um, throughout history, is the content of our belief, right? So the question then becomes, do we need sound beliefs and sacrificial generosity, or is it one or the other? So I went to um, a local conference here in St. Louis not long ago. Um, and Mary Higgins' family helped to put this conference on, and the theme of the conference was called Orthodox Acti- Orthodox Activism. And as I'm like l- reading that, I'm like, "What does that even mean, Orthodox Activism?" And I sat there and listened to these guys talk, and what I found is that as they're talking, I realized what they're talking about is the same thing we're talking about today. They're talking about this distinction where the church has sort of split. Those who said, "You know, we no longer need uh, we no longer need any of." Of the traditional beliefs in Jesus, we're just going to do good things, and then others who said, um, you know, we're just going to believe in Jesus, but we're not going to take care of our anybody else. And Jesus is saying, absolutely not. It's both and. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to his one of his proteges, a guy named Timothy, wrote a letter to him, and look at what he says about teaching, about the soundness of our teaching. He says, if anybody teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, doctrine just means teaching the teaching of the Bible. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. Paul saying this is important. The content of what you teach and preach, this is absolutely important and vital to the heart of the believer and the heart of the church. Then he wrote him another letter, stayed on the same theme, and this is what he said. He said, then the righteous, well, sorry, he said, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, he's saying. There, there will be a time where there's just people are not going to be interested in hearing the the core tenets of the faith, the sound teaching of the of the word of God. They're not going to be interested in that, right? So it's very, very clear that Paul is saying this is vitally important. This is not something you can just chuck out the window. This is desperately important to individual believers and to the life of the church. But then on the other hand, you have people who. Would say, you know, look, this this this, uh, you know, it's, it's all about this. It's all about sound beliefs. It's all about doctrine. Right. Who cares about other people? And in fact, Jesus told a one of the most riveting and and powerful parables that you've ever you know, that you can ever read. Uh, he tells this parable about how the son of man, when he comes, he will come and he'll separate the sheep from the goats and then on the sheep he'll put them on the right hand and he'll say, you know, come into my kingdom because when I was hungry you fed me, when I was, you know, naked you clothed me, when I was thirsty you gave me something to drink, when I was sick, you came and and looked after me, when I was in prison, you came and visited me. And he says then the scripture says, then the righteous will answer him. And that next slide it says, then the righteous will answer him and they say, lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? When did we do this? He said, the king will reply, truly, I tell you this, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it unto me. So what he's saying is, look, man, you can have all the beliefs dialed in. You can have the perfect theology. You can have all the doctrine hammered out. But if you're not coming after serving and helping those who are struggling and those who are challenged and those who are oppressed and those who are wounded, then I just don't know who you are because I've never met you. Because you meet me when you serve those who are in need. So he's saying, look, beliefs, sound doctrine. Absolutely vital to the life of the church, and reaching out to those that are struggling and and those that are oppressed and those that are hurting, absolutely vital to the life of the church. So again, I ask you this: Where is God calling you on this both and spectrum? What area is God reaching into your heart and saying, "Hey, I want you to take a next step in this area. I want you to take a next step." in your faith or in your beliefs or in your exploration of the word of God or your growth as a Christian. Or is he saying, hey, I want you to take a next step in opening your heart to those who are around you, who you might tend to ignore, who you might avoid. What what step is he taking you on next? And then the third and final category where this comes out is in the area of personal morality and social responsibility responsibility. Because again, you know, these are the, this is the split. This is the controversy. One doesn't matter, you know, whatever you do with yourself and your own life, that's your business. Don't, you don't worry about what the Bible says about that versus, um, social responsibility. You know, that's not that important. Who really cares about taking care of other people and all that kind of thing. Um, and my life group on Saturday mornings, we get a a group of guys are about eight, eight, eight or nine guys. We get together every Saturday morning. Um, and we just have this awesome time, about an hour and a half, and we're looking at the life of Samson. And in this study that we're doing on the life of Samson, you see this life that was plagued by moral failure over and over and over and over again. He keeps messing up. I mean, he, it's pride and it's lust and it's greed And it's arrogance. It's like all all of this stuff that you're looking at, and it's just going, man, Samson, you got all this potential, all of this, all of these possibilities, and you just keep, you keep messing it up, man. He's a tragic, tragic figure. The beautiful thing about the story is that God redeems him and gives him a, a, a. Till the very end, he keeps bringing him back, keeps giving him another chance. That's the beautiful thing. The the tragic thing about it is that you look at his life and you go, man, so much possibility. That went un unexplored. So much potential that went on, you know, that stayed buried, right? Because personal morality is absolutely vital, and you know this in your own life. Those, you know, those of you that are honest with yourself, and that's all of us in this room, um, you know that like sometimes we just blow it, and when you when you take that time to go, man, Lord. I'm going to repent from that. I'm going to accept your forgiveness and I'm going to move on. That's a liberating thing, you know, when, when you when you when you don't do that, when you bury it and hide it and cover it, man, you just you just can't prosper. The scripture says you just can't prosper if you cover up those sins. So this personal morality piece, this this trying to walk in the in the spirit, walking with love and generosity and integrity, that's absolutely vital. However, not to the exclusion Of the social responsibility of reaching out to that person around you. In fact, here's the way, and I'm gonna, this is my, I think this is my last scripture, but this is Jesus's brother James puts this all together in this very beautiful and concise passage um, in James chapter one. And this is what he says He says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Here it is. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In other words, to help those who are marginalized and vulnerable in your society, okay? And to keep oneself unstained from the world. He says, man, it's both. It's bringing together this, you know, this, this reaching out to those that are in need and living out the life that God called you to live. And when you stumble, you get back up and you get accountability and you get help. It's both of those. What is God calling you to? Where have you fallen into the either or fallacy in your life? And where is God saying, hey, man, I want you to live it out in the both and? Because it's about loving God and loving your neighbor. So I would ask you this today. Some of you may be in that position where you're saying, Look, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of a socially responsible church. I'm, I'm happy to to like get out there and help. But I'm really that that, you know, I'm not I'm reticent about taking that next step in my faith. I'm nervous about accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior and committing to him with my life. I'm nervous about, you know, beginning to explore the scripture and allowing the scripture to be the authority of my life. Right. I would call you and encourage you to take that next step. To take that next step, to make that commitment today, to make that commitment to say, I'm going to follow Jesus I, and not just in my deeds, but in my heart. I'm going to be I'm going to be a person who loves God with all of my heart. Maybe you're a person. You are a believer. You crossed that threshold. But you've said, look, you know, I don't want my decision to interfere with my life style choices. You know, I don't I'm not really ready to go there. I, I mean, I'm, I love Jesus. He's great. He's fantastic, but I really don't want to have him get up in my business about my relationships and the way I transact uh, my finances and how I live my life. I don't want him interfering with that. I just want to be able to come, praise Jesus, and leave, right? Let me challenge you. Take that next step. Take that next step. Get involved in a life group. Get involved with other people. Get involved with some other brothers or sisters. Put a prayer request in. Let us let us reach out to you. Let us help. You're not going to find judgment and condemnation in this church. You're going to find people who want to come around you and help take you to that next step because we all need that. Maybe maybe you're a person you've got the beliefs dialed in. You're like man, I've been a Christian forever, and I've got my morality all set. You know, man, I've, I've I'm. I'm living right. I'm acting right. I'm doing the right thing. But this reaching out to other people, that part just kind of tweaks me a little bit because, you know, they should be able to take care of themselves. What's their problem? You know, get up on your own feet. Right. Let me challenge you. Part of your call as a Christian is to go after that person, whether they've caused it themselves or whether it was caused by something outside of them or a combination of both. That doesn't matter. Your calling is to reach out and to provide strength and support and help to that person. That's your calling. Jesus is working in their life in some other way that you don't know. But he's calling you to reach out. He's calling us to be a church that reaches out and helps others. I sent out an email this week, if you're on our email list, and gave you seven Super practical, super available right now opportunities um, to serve in some way. I would just encourage you, find one of those and just, just go for it. Just do that. Um, do one of them uh, and, and start to open up your life to, to reaching out to other people and see what kind of blessing happens in your own life as you start to crack open the, your heart and, and, and see the pain in other people. So here's what I'm going to challenge us to do. I want to challenge us as a congregation to be the kind of church that brings this, you know, 2000 year old, you know, either or fallacy together that we become a church that loves God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, that we're passionate about the scripture, that we're passionate about God's word and that we study and that we devour it and that we pray and that we fast and that we have this vital spiritual life with God, that we love him with everything we've got. And we reach out beyond these walls and we just love our neighbor as ourself. And we build hope and strength and beauty and mercy into our community that we just become a church that's that's doing both of those with all of our heart, because I believe that that's what God is calling us to do. So I just put it out to you today to take that next step out of the either or and into the glorious adventure Of the both and. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father. We come before you today. With our hearts open.